This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Edition number two. Very excited. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Got to tell you, we've got good feedback for the first one, so I'm looking forward to the second one, Daryl. And if you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe to the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland feed. Daryl, I want to start off with a story that uh, there's a lot of stuff that I don't think a lot of people know about. Um, and we can go back a little bit in time, and that's the beauty of this podcast, and talk a little bit about Hugh Jackson. I thought it was super interesting that the league like said, what are your claims? Uh, I don't think that they were tanking on purpose, and you weren't getting paid to lose games. And then uh, Pro Football Talk had the letter that came out from the attorneys from the Browns that went to Hugh Jackson, and I, it's just unbelievable. So, Daryl, when I say Hugh Jackson to you, what goes through your mind? Someone who completely and 100% lacks any credibility whatsoever. And that's from day one that he walked in the door. I, I mean, no one oversold and underdelivered better than Hugh Jackson. And I always like to say that the one thing you have in this business, whether you're a reporter, whether you're a coach, whether you're an executive, is the C word, credibility. And Hugh Jackson continues to prove every time he opens his mouth that he has no credibility to the point of where the Browns had to basically send him a cease and desist letter to shut up because he signed agreements like he's the king of airing grievances and playing the victim card. And I guess the thing that bothered me most, Andy, about the whole situation with him coming out with this nonsense after the Brian Flores lawsuit came out was the fact that he made himself a story and detracted from a legitimate complaint from Flores that he's you know Flores is trying to change the way the National Football League goes about hiring minority coaches and and trying to ensure that minority coaches have a uh, much cleaner path to elevate themselves up the coaching ranks and to get these jobs because it's very difficult as it's proven every year when the hiring cycles come through for these minority coaches to get these jobs. So Hugh Jackson took away from what Flores was trying to accomplish with his lawsuit by throwing out these false claims that the Browns were paying him bonuses to lose, similar to what Flores alleged the Miami Dolphins tried to offer him that that you know that hundred thousand dollars 
uh, per loss in the 2019 season. So my thing with Hugh Jackson is, dude just lacks credibility and needs to go away and stop complaining about his time in Cleveland. He was paid a ton of money, nearly $20 million, not to win football games, to do very little. He was a pain in the backside in the building on a regular basis. And um, and just just this constant airing of grievances. And I kind of laughed when I read that letter from, uh, you know, the commissioner of Pro Football Talk published when the commissioner was like, I hope you're able to get over this sometime soon. Let's set the stage for the beginning of what was Hugh Jackson's career in Cleveland. Because let's not forget, when he came to the Browns, he was the biggest candidate that was out there. And you had a front office uh, that had been uh, that had been spurned by other coaches. Remember, right. Jim Harbaugh was going to come in, and um, you know the the guys running the front office at the time, Lombardi, Banner. You know they would sit, and I, I you know you would hear stories about how these guys would argue with Jimmy Haslam about who they were going to bring in. They got left at the altar and ended up with Mike Pettin. And while I still think Mike Pettin wasn't a bad coach at all, I thought and I liked Mike Pettin's attitude towards things when he was here, the Haslam family felt like, you know, we've been left as the bridesmaid a couple times here while we've been ownership group, and we've got to figure out a way to bring in the coach that we want. So now you flash to Hugh Jackson, and when Hugh got the job, Daryl, do you not remember? They brought everybody in the building. Everybody that worked in Berea had to stand in the front office, in the front lot moment that Hugh Jackson got there and the TV cameras were in there and they paraded him on out like the president of the United States had just come through and that the Secret Service needed to be there because Hugh Jackson's here baby and it was a bad start and a bad beginning to what would be his not so good tenure in Cleveland and I mean do you remember the feeling do you remember the day they brought him in and I mean every like the front office was so uptight People were like, oh, we got Hugh Jackson, we got Hugh Jackson, we got Hugh Jackson. And I'm like, um, it's just another coach. Come on. What, what, yeah. I mean, you're yeah, going to end up the, going through him in about a, you know, a year or two. Yeah, the employees were lined uh, on the staircase. Uh, it was like a yep. hero's welcome for him, right? He was the, given the, uh, the hero's welcome treatment. D. Haslam opened the door for Hugh Jackson, which I, I, I still remember that. Um, I'm a little old school. Guys are supposed to open the doors for the women. But D. Haslam opened the door for Hugh Jackson <laughs> as he's coming into the building. And everyone's applauding and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you got the heroes welcome. But it, it just it didn't last long because, obviously, the offseason came in March. And Sashi Brown began the, the roster deconstruction uh, to clear the books, to clear out the roster, begin the process of accumulating the draft picks. And that, and so for him to allege that the Browns and the Haslam's were doing some nefarious things, like giving him bonuses to lose games. Now, when you look at what Sports Illustrated laid out, because they actually had the, have the documents of the bonuses, but I'll just say this: you can't go on national TV and talk about how you don't know where bonus money is coming from, because to me, you just sound like an idiot. I know where every dollar of my income comes from. I'm sure you know the same the same thing, right, Andy? You know where every dollar of your income Absolutely. is coming from, right? So yes. come on, man. The and lottery. Then it turn- I'm praying and then it- for the lottery every, every <laughs> right. day. Right. Yeah. And then it turns out 
that Hugh Jackson modified those bonuses, those bonus levels or uh, parameters, right? And in year three right. of those bonuses, he was if they won ten games, he was going to get a bonus. So he went two five and one in year three. Greg Williams went five and three. Uh, quick math. I was told there would be no math, but that's right. a ten win pace for Greg Williams. So that goal in year three was not unattainable for Hugh Jackson. So it's really hard for me to treat Hugh Jackson like he's this big, sympathetic figure because he was basically full of it from day number one. Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong. And this was the vibe I had about Hugh Jackson. Like I, I felt like the Haslam's felt like, Again, they didn't want to fail at another head coach. Right. And they were willing, and, and they knew what was going on. They knew the fact that it's not tanking. It's just restructuring. And I know it's another way of saying, hey, we might not win, but just restructuring so that they could get draft picks, so that they could put themselves in a better position to be competitive in the AFC North. And that's what the league found, too. That's why there's no problems because of his allegations, and we've moved forward from this. But I really think that the Haslam's wanted this to work. So much so, I mean, how many coaches would have got uh, would have got whacked after an 0-16 season or a 1-15 season? They were willing to go forward with him. And I, I really think that they did not want this to come to, obviously, they didn't want it to come to the ending that it did. But you want to talk about a guy that had every chance in the world. I mean, no other team is keeping a coach that went 1-15 and 0-16. And so I, I, I don't know if that – I'm sure the Haslam's learned a lot about – you know, just being owners, because I thought it was interesting last summer they said we didn't really know what we were doing when we got the job. So I, I, I think that kind of laid the, the framework out for the beginning. I, I, there were two things that really just drove me nuts about you. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have the venom that I think a lot of people do towards you, but um, there are two quick stories, and I'll tell them real fast. One, I was in a production meeting for a preseason game, and I just remember Hugh saying, Deshaun Kaiser is our franchise quarterback. Yep. And I'm like, why would you do that to this kid? That was wrong. That was just straight wrong, especially because Brock Osweiler was still on the roster, and Brock clearly was a better quarterback, and and Kaiser just needed to learn. I mean, they absolutely crushed that kid's career. That's one, and I'll give you another story, because I know you I, – I can't wait because you want to stick it right – story time's coming up, right, Daryl? Yeah, we, we, we got a few stories. We're going to take you behind the scenes so that, and really paint the picture of why Hugh Jackson 100% is full of it and lacks any credibility whatsoever and just why his time with the Browns was the epic disaster and failure that it was beyond just what the front office was doing as far as that four-year plan, which, oh, by the way, standard operating procedure for teams that are rebuilding. Standard year, standard going with a four-year plan. So we'll lay it all out for you as to why Hugh Jackson was just a complete and utter failure with the Browns. All right, Daryl's going to spill the tea when we come back. I can't wait for this. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe to the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland feed. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. We're talking about Hugh Jackson on the heels of, you know, the league saying, hey, Hugh, your claims about the team, you know, like throwing games, they're just not right. So when we just last left, Daryl was about to tell some stories from behind-the-scenes stuff. So have at it, man. I want to hear all, all your stories about <laughs> Hugh Jackson and what was going on in Berea. Well, we, we look, we already know about the constant fighting with Sashi Brown in the front office and him tr- basically trying to undermine their work with ownership, including that failed attempt to trade with Cincinnati for backup quarterback A.J. McCarron for draft picks, right? Thank God somebody right. didn't get that paperwork into the league office. You know, you were just talking about Deshaun Kaiser and how Hugh Jackson managed him. Talking, uh, you know, privately mentioning how, hey, this is our franchise quarterback. We're building around this, right? And this is on the heels of his trust me uh, after they drafted Cody Kessler in the third round of the draft, right? right? Remember, the earth moved under his feet during RG3's workout with the Browns. Remember that nonsense. Again, these are just exhibits of how Hugh Jackson constantly overpromised, oversold, right? And 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 I understood at the time what he was trying to do, right? The it, it was bleak. The odds of the Browns winning a lot of games those first couple of years were slim to none because they were going through a complete roster rebuild. But him air, constantly airing the grievances over what the front office was doing, I just had no sympathy for him. You took the job, dude. This is what you signed up for. This is part of it. The Browns, and the commissioner even pointed this out. The Browns had been stuck in this 4-12, and 5-11, and 3-13 quagmire for years and years and years. And they were constantly getting top 10 draft picks that they were blowing year in and year out, right? So... Things had to really change, and the only way for that to change was the fact that they had to gut the roster of a lot of expensive veterans that were not helping the team win games and to really kind of hit the reset button on things. And again, it was pretty much laid out for you in year three, we're really going to try and win games because if you win 10, you're going to get a performance bonus here. Now, in the right. first two years, was there a there was not a performance bonus based on wins and losses. But so again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, Andy, about just him being full of it and having no credibility because he would just constantly oversell stuff. Um, and then let's talk about Hugh Jackson, the coach. And I'm not going to get into game management and clock management and and that type of thing. I, there's one story that I have never told that I think really encapsulates and crystallizes just how bad Hugh Jackson was as a coach. And this happened during the 2017 season. Coming off of 1-15, right? Remember, he was going to jump in the lake if they they went 1-15 again, and it turns out they went 0-16, right? And I'm not even going to talk about him, his pants coming off when he went in the lake and uh, him giving us the full moon. Uh, Not even going to talk about that even though I'm going to mention it a few times, full moon, Hugh Jackson. Okay. Uh, 
the perfect <laughs> one for the one thirty-six and one. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Uh, so during okay. the twenty seventeen season, right? They 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 can't win games. They they ultimately did not win a game. But remember, they signed Kenny Britt in the offseason. They gave him a lot of money to come in and be yes. their basically their number one receiver, right? Correct. Let yeah. me tell you, Kenny Britt's one of the biggest. How do I say this nicely? Jerks. Uh, the keep it a family podcast here. We keep it clean. Okay. But I don't okay. have very many nice things to say about Kenny Britt as a human being. Pretty terrible dude. Okay. Uh, one example. But, I mean, would was be he disrespectful to? Okay. Yeah, I want to hear it. Go ahead. Extremely disrespectful. So, you know, we go in the locker room. I I have a thing when I go in a locker room. I'm a guest in their home. I, I treat locker rooms and clubhouses. That is the players' homes. First of all, I don't want to be in there. <laughs> okay, that right. There's I just agree. nothing. There's just it nothing is. fun about a bunch of dudes coming out of the shower, wearing towels, and getting dressed in front of you. There, it's just there's nothing comfortable with that. I don't enjoy it. But I always try no. and treat the locker rooms like I am a guest in your home, right? So Kenny right. Britt, what he would do while we were doing interviews is he would just walk around the locker room near microphones and drop as many profanities as he could in the background. And he would not be subtle about this. And this went on for a couple of weeks until we just all had to say something because it got to a point where we could not use tape because... You couldn't work. Right. You couldn't work. Yeah, right. I get it. So then and we he, go on the... did he know... He clearly knew what he was doing. He knew doing. exactly what he was doing because his teammates would join in as well. Oh. He would rope the teammates in. So... Let's go to the practice field. And this is the example of Hugh Jackson having no control over his team. Because what was happening during practice early in the 2017 season is, especially the receivers, you know, they play music while they're, they do the stretching and their warm-ups right. and their individual drills and stuff like that. Well, they would all dance. Like, Kenny Britt would be dancing in the middle of the practice here. And okay. would be missing reps to the point where – Coaches would be uh, in very colorful ways uh, telling guys to pay attention, namely Kenny Britt. Sure. And I watched this okay. for a few weeks, and as the losses start piling up, I'm like, this guy's just a clown, and he is the microcosm of what's wrong with this football team, just an unprofessional environment, both behind the scenes and on the practice field. And who's the head coach? Hugh Jackson. Reflection of the head coach, right? So right. One, one day – about, uh, I think they were 0-7. I take video of the nonsense. Kenny Britt's dancing, getting yelled at by the coach because he missed a rep, right? I put it on Twitter. Right. Now, I acknowledge okay. I, I acknowledge that I took a cheap shot. Uh, but at this point, they're 0-7, and I just didn't care because I just got tired of dealing with Kenny Britt's nonsense. So right. I, put, I, I put the video of the Brit, of Brit dancing and missing a rep in practice and getting yelled at for it. I put it up on Twitter, and then I basically right. put something to the effect of for a caption, apparently the players are enjoying their winless season a hell of a lot more than the fans are. Fast forward yeah, to the especially next for a guy that had a Especially for a guy that had a four-year deal. Right. It got cut the first year of his four-year well, deal. Okay, John Dorsey got a standing ovation from uh, the media room his first day on the job when the first thing he did was cut Kenny Britt. So, <laughs> so the next day after I post that, it come, I get uh, called into the hallway uh, by a team official who pulls yeah. me aside and said, uh, Daryl, uh, your, uh, <clears throat> your cheap shots have uh, kind of boiled over and uh, the locker room's not real happy with you, starting with one Duke Johnson. 
And I love Duke really? Johnson. Yeah, I, I, right? I, Duke Johnson's one of my favorite players since 1999. Duke Johnson, not a big fan of Daryl Ryder. <laughs> In fact, still has, so wait, me wait, wait. still has me blocked so, on uh, Twitter. <laughs> Duke is mad at you because you posted this video of Kenny Britt. And, 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 and said that the players were enjoying losing. Um, ah, okay. okay. He didn't like that I put that the players were enjoying their winless season more than the fans were. But gotcha. okay. at this point, the clown show had gotten to be a clown show, and I was just pretty much over it all. And I just basically right. responded, hey, I, I, I get it, but I'm here every day. If someone's got a problem with me, they're more than welcome to come talk to me and, and you know, basically tell good, me good where to you. stick it, right? Right. So <clears throat> I go in the locker room, and yeah. and I just felt the eyeballs <laughs> all day just burning through the my entire- forehead. The entire, the entire locker team? room, yeah, not really? happy with me. Yeah, not wow. real happy with me, and that's okay. It, it look, I, I yeah. in in some respects, I deserved it because I, I did take a cheap shot. But my whole point was well, the da- the video part of it's not really cheap right. shot. That's something that actually happened. So the, okay. the caption was, going. and and I knew it. Right. I, I I knew what I was doing, but I didn't care right. because, like I said, the team can't win a game. Uh, you got people acting like jerks behind the scenes when we're try- in in their home trying to work, uh, a.k.a. the locker room, and then you got people being clowns on the practice field while they're supposed to be out there preparing to try and win football games. And I just took all of that as a direct reflection of Hugh Jackson and his lack of control because I've seen many a head coach come through Berea, Ohio, and he is the first head coach that would allow any of that to go on. Like – he, he, like, coaches don't tolerate nonsense. They really don't. You know that, Andy. Right. You've been, you, you, no, I, mean, I know. They and suffer no fools. Right. And, and I, I, it I, just, it was a clown show behind the scenes in 2017 with Hugh Jackson. So that, so just, I, I wanted to kind of paint that picture for people to really understand why, you know, earlier when we were laying out just, you know, so, some of the stuff he would say and why we think he's full of it. I just think that that story alone, Kenny Britt dancing in practice, you know, dropping profanities around reporters in the locker room or just in there trying to do their jobs and, and, and whatnot and getting teammates to join in. And it really became a Browns versus the media type of thing. Uh, you know, the Sashi uh, Wars with fans and, and all those things. So just to really understand that Hugh Jackson is not the sympathetic figure he wants to paint himself out to be. He sucked as a leader. He sucked as a coach. And he's full of it. Wow. How about I, the other part of it is I think about Kenny Britt going to New England after going playing for us. Can you imagine what a change of culture that would have been? Yeah, you think Bill Belichick would have allowed mean, any I, of that to happen in in his locker room no. or on his practice field? No. So that's my oh, thing. Man. It's just down to accountability, lack of accountability, and with Hugh Jackson, everybody else was to blame. So that's our that's our Hugh Jackson, uh, shall we say. Uh, takedown, <laughs> an explanation of why everything he was kind of claiming and he was really, really stretching the truth. He knew what he signed, and he tried to make a lawsuit that is designed to bring about systemic change within the National Football League all about him. And I just think that that's just 100% disgraceful on his part.
Woo. All right, Derek, I have one more story, so I'm going to share that okay. when we come back here in a second. Yep. It's always game day in Cleveland, so we hope you're enjoying what you're listening to. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you're listening to, remember to subscribe to the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland feed. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Back with more after this. Wow. Woohoo! It's been an interesting always game day in Cleveland, and if you like to hear stories about what's going on behind the scenes, uh, Daryl's told some stuff, and we've been talking a little bit about the Hugh Jackson era, especially what's going on uh, based on what happened with the league and, and the tanking allegations and all that stuff. So um, I, I have one more story for you, Daryl. Uh, Good luck but, topping this mine, is by the way. one of the stories. Oh, I can't. I can't top it. But <laughs> what was interesting to me was hearing – because, you know, I'm always, like, into the media side of things, and I get that. And, you know, remember, we were watching Hard Knocks, and Hugh Jackson had that scene with Baker Mayfield where he was talking about, you know, what time Tyrod Taylor comes in. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they have the shot of Taylor walking into the field house where the lights come on. Do you remember that? Yep. Staged. The whole thing was staged. Really? Like, I, I, you know, they went back and had him. Yeah. So this is what I was told from folks in Berea behind the scenes, that they went back and reshot that that scene to match what Hugh had said. Because wow. it didn't it, it didn't play out in real time. And that I had heard that that day that Baker had been there at the same time as Tyrod. Like, they were getting there at the same – like, it was total garbage. That whole – it was – did you ever see the movie Broadcast News? Yep. Uh, there's a scene with William Hurt in that movie where he was interviewing somebody and he was really moved by the interview and he almost cried. And the yep. videographer said to him, man, you almost cried. That That's exactly kind of what happened. It was the it was the William Hurt cry scene from broadcast news that they went back and cut it in. Now, it was it real that he walked in? Yeah, they had to have him do that. But the the, the timing didn't match the story on how that kind of played out. And so, again, that's what I had heard from behind the scenes. Uh, I take it to be true. I'm assuming that it was, but it was. it's a really interesting. Like, that's what Hollywood could do. And, it, like, it just bothered me. It bothered me that they took that speech and kind of made it match up. To, and, and, by the way, the Browns knew everything that was going on with Hard Knocks. Well, yeah. I mean, those they, shows they... are run by the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they have editorial comment on that. So, uh, yes, they Darryl, do. I just want to get into a little bit of the – a little bit of the news that we've heard over the week. Looks like the the Browns are going to make a significant hire in the front office. Yeah, it's uh, looking like Catherine uh, Rach, uh, who's with the Philadelphia Eagles. She's their uh, vice president of, of football operations there, uh, who worked with Andrew Barry uh, the year that Barry was with the Eagles. Uh, of course, as you remember, Barry left the Browns, went to Philadelphia, and then came back basically a year later uh, to be the EVP and uh, GM, but he's been looking for help in the front office. Uh, not so much to replace Quasey, who's now the GM of the Minnesota Vikings, but just to you know take up some of those responsibilities. Kind of unclear what her actual title is going to be or would be should, there, should they be able to kind of get this thing done. But um, what I was told, uh, high-level role within the front office, not necessarily a direct replacement of uh, Kwesi Adofu-Mensa, but to take on a lot of those uh, responsibilities uh, that he had uh, working with Barry. So another uh, potentially groundbreaking hire uh, for the Browns. Rach, by the way, already the top-ranking 
uh, football personnel executive in the league. So it looks like she potentially could be on her way to Cleveland to team up with Andrew Barry once again. Hey, I, I'm just curious, and if you know this off the top of your head, I'm just, uh, is there a compensatory pick that goes along with that? There, there might be, but that doesn't go that that would not come from the Browns. That would come no, no. from the league. The, right. To the to just the like we Eagles. had this year. Correct. The Eagles would be the team getting that uh, compensatory pick. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because okay, they because lose. because the Browns yeah. would be hiring her away. Right. From gotcha. uh, you know, okay, so. Just like the Browns got the two compensatory uh, third-round picks, one this year, and then the second one will come uh, next year because the Vikings uh, hired Quasey away from the Browns. So the Eagles would be the team getting that comp pick. All right, let, let's go into another or subject two. that kind of came out this week. Um, it looks like it's going to be Amari Cooper and the kids. So uh, like Benny and the Jets, it's going to be <laughs> Amari and the kids. Um, I, I do like the possibility of David Bell having a serious impact. Like, when I look at all these rookies that they're bringing in, yeah, yep. I know Perry and Winfrey is a guy we talked about in the last one, but I love the fact that David Bell looks like he's going to have the opportunity to, to do some damage. But the only way that happens is if they stay young uh, at wide receiver. So do you get the feeling that they're not bringing in a free agent wide receiver, that they're going with what they got? I'll never say never, but it, it just seems that way. Um Remember, they're paying Amari Cooper $20 million a year. Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz are previous draft picks made by Andrew Barry, right? So uh, I I think that they view, though we keep talking about who's the number two receiver. Look, I think privately within the organization, they feel like the the number two receiver is going to be DPJ or Schwartzy. Like, you know, David Bell's going to come in, get an opportunity to – to contribute as a rookie. Don't forget Jakeem Brandt, who was signed as a free agent, Pro Bowl returner from uh, the right. Bears. Maybe he gets a, a couple of reps at receiver as well. Uh, Jamarcus Bradley's obviously still on the, the roster. They drafted Michael Woods the second this year as well. So they've, they've drafted four wide receivers in these last three drafts combined. So, yeah, it really looks like it's going to be Amari Cooper and the kids. And this is a Donovan Peoples-Jones' third season. This will be Schwartz's second season. May the Schwartz be with you, by the way. Um, right. And uh, I think they really are going to uh, try and develop these young kids and utilize them. Um, because, again, they, they've spent draft capital on them. I'm not going to rule out that they won't bring in a veteran. But when you look at what Andrew Berry has done here, Andy, and look, I mean, you don't cut your your draft picks like that's just how the NFL works at least in year one and right. Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz have both shown something so uh, there's no need to think about cutting either one of those players David Bell absolutely is going to make the team and maybe Michael Woods uh, ends up on the practice squad right but yeah it, it's it's probably going to be Cooper and and the kids all right, I'm going to throw one more hypothetical as we leave you because this came up on, on the show with, with Jeff and I yesterday. And I, I don't know, I just kind of threw it out there, okay? So obviously the Browns are looking to get rid of Baker Mayfield. And you're trying to figure out where Mayfield's going to go and this and that and that. So I just kind of – I was just looking up numbers. And if San Francisco is ready to move forward and, and part ways with Jimmy Garoppolo, if they need to, if they feel like they're, they're, the time has come – 
how crazy would it be for the Browns and the Niners to trade? You send Baker to San Francisco. Garoppolo comes here. Again, this is all based on the fact that um, Deshaun Watson, if he could not play, you'd have to be pretty serious that you know Deshaun's not going to be able to play. Would you bring Jimmy Garoppolo? It, it, at the end of the day, it would cost the Browns $6 million more for one season. One season. What do you think? Then why did you sign? Other... Why would you sign Jacoby Brissett? Well, my question for you then is: Do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Jacoby Brissett? And that's the that's the next part of that. If you think Garoppolo is better than Brissett, is it worth six million dollars to not only get rid of Baker Mayfield and send him out west, but also have another guy you think can lead you to the playoffs this season? I I think they've made the 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 moves at, at quarterback. I, I I understand the scenario. I just they traded for Deshaun and they signed two veteran quarterbacks. There, there's, there's no more movement to be done there other than getting Baker out of town. Like, and, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't see that. I understand where you're coming from with that, and I understand yeah. your reasoning. I just, well, I, and, they, and the they've made their moves. That, and the only way that would happen is if they had clear, uh, if they, you know, could see into the future and know that Deshaun would not be able to play this year or miss most of the season. Well, understand. That's the only way I would think about that. Yeah, understand though that Jacoby Brissett started over thirty games in the National Football League, and as has you know, kind of like Baker. Baker has started uh, you know over thirty right. games in the NFL. So, them bringing in Brissett, I think, pretty much wipes out any idea that they're going to go out, even if Deshaun Watson ends up being suspended for a lengthy period of time. I just think right. that the Brissett signing. Them bringing in Josh Dobbs to be the third quarterback, I just think that wipes out any potential quarterback additions. And in 15 seconds, put it to bed. Baker Mayfield will not walk on the field in a Browns uniform ever again. Yes or no? He will not. I, I, I'll even give it to you during a regular season game. How's that? Or even a preseason game. Yeah, he's he's not going to play for the Cleveland Browns again. Woo! All right, and that's I. I think that's the way to go. But man, I'm still blown away by some of the stories you had from Hugh Jackson today. Daryl, a blast again. Let's do it again. By the way, anyone who's listening along the lines that you can, uh, you can tweet at us now at Game Day CLE at Game Day CLE, and then we love having you on board. Um, we're going to be on twice a week during the off season, three times a week during the regular season. But Daryl and I are both committed that if there's a major breaking story. We'll drop a podcast in a, in a moment's notice. So we're glad that you're all with us. Thank you so much. If you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Subscribe to that feed. And then remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For Meredith Kane, our outstanding producer, he's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Thanks again for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland.